out last Sunday. If you missed that, go back and recap. This is a series of messages I think will be very, very helpful to all of us. Uh, we, we need transformation. I don't care who you are. We need transformation in the way that we think. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 3 and 4, Jesus says, unless you change and become like a little child, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And those of you who will do this and humble yourselves will be the greatest in the kingdom. One thing I'm seeing is that I'm getting older, and as I get older, I get set in my ways. It's just tendency. It's, it's human nature. We get set in our ways. I don't ever want to be the old fuddy-duddy stuck in the mud that doesn't want to change when the Holy Spirit's trying to change, and I'm standing there resisting what God's trying to do. I want to be a childlike person who is wholeheartedly embracing what God wants to do. Everybody say, change. Change is difficult, but you know what's harder? Not changing, right? Ask Blockbuster Video, no longer existing. Ask Sears and Roebuck, right? No longer existing because they did not change well. They did not adapt, and so they are no longer existing. So we need to change. We're going to change. A new way of thinking. We need a new way of thinking. This morning, I was up early this morning, and I was listening to a sermon. We're watching a preacher, pulled up a YouTube video on our TV, and was listening to a man preaching the word, and uh, didn't even get beyond the first 10 minutes of the message. He read a text, and he began his opening remarks, and what the man said changed me. Are you open to change? I'm telling you, the, the things, some of the things that I believe this morning, because of the preaching of the Word of God, my mindset, my way of thinking about a certain thing was transformed. Amen? It's vital that we are receptive. And especially, I'm not, I'm not talking about just changing because culture's changing because of this, that, and the other, but changing because of the Word of God and the Spirit of God leading us to change. We cannot be resistant to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God. We need to be compliant. We need to be malleable. We need to be shapeable. We need to be moldable. We need to be people who God can shape and change. My doctrine has changed over 27 years since I first believed right? It's more conformed to Scripture. And I acknowledge there are probably a lot of areas where I still need to change. There are a lot of ways my thinking needs to align up with God's way of thinking because I've, I've adapted things of my human nature. I've ad adapted customs of the world. I've adapted traditions of the church that may not necessarily be the ways of God. And where I need to change, I want to be willing to change. Amen? Because the goal at the end of the day is to look like Jesus. And if there's something in me that doesn't look like Jesus, I want the Holy Spirit to come do a work in me to change and transform me and conform me into the likeness of my Savior, the one who bought me and purchased me, and I call him Lord and Master. I want to look like him. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 in the message is, is our foundational verse for this series of messages. And it says, if you are serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue th the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. See things from his perspective perspective. This week as I was reflecting, I remembered a story that uh, my, my favorite teacher in Bible college shared with us. His name was Dr. Van Gill. And he told us a story about a Jewish rabbi who had a nephew. His nephew came to him one day. His nephew came to him and said, Rabbi, I'm thinking of going and studying Greek philosophy. The rabbi paused for a minute and he began to quote what is the first psalm. Blessed is the man 
who walks not in the way of the wicked, or stands in the seat, uh, or in the way, the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scornful. But his delight is in the law of God, and in his law does he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of living water. He'll bear fruit in every season. His leaf will not wither, and everything that he puts his hands to will prosper. The ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. He quoted that psalm to his nephew, and he said, Nephew, show me a time that is neither day or night, and then you can go and study your Greek philosophy. Think about it. How much time do we spend contemplating and studying ways that are contrary to the ways of God. How many cultural mindsets, how many philosophies, how many ideologies have we adapted that are worldly and are not of God? The longer I live, the more and more convinced I am that the only guide that I need is God's Word and His Spirit. That's all I need to direct me in this life. That's the only thing that I need for counsel. God's Word. I don't need the psychologist. I don't need the psychiatrist. I don't need you name it. I need God's Word. I don't need the fortune teller. We could go down a whole long list. I need the Word of God. This book in Colossians was written to deal with a church that was adapting the mindsets of the world. Mindsets after human traditions. They were practicing Jewish asceticism, which was basically denying all pleasure, not having money, not enjoying goods, giving it all away, and setting all of their focus on a spiritual ascent. Listen, when we're talking about looking up, we're not talking about that. Have you ever heard that terminology? I thought about this as I was thinking about these, uh, these believers who were practicing this asceticism. Have you ever met people or heard the saying maybe that, that he was so earthly minded or heavenly minded that he was no earthly good? In other words, he was so super spiritual that he couldn't relate to people in real life. He, he was so aloft in his thinking that he was ineffective at living life, right? I kind of thought of that. There's, there's a, a bit of parallel between asceticism and that kind of living. It was this kind of a spiritual elitism through denying of self. It was a me, a, an attempt to uh, reach God through spiritual disciplines, uh, through, to, to attain salvation and righteousness through those things. Instead of, instead of letting the righteousness of God come to us and let that be what produces the fruit of our lives. Right? That's really what this thing of Jewish asceticism was all about. They were looking to elements of the law and Jewish tradition to climb a ladder towards God. It was, it's, it's also termed dualism. That was the particular philosophy that the Apostle Paul, when he writes in this book, is dealing with, dualism. And there were a lot of world, world uh, views and mindsets that the Scripture deals with, Gnosticism, uh, we looked uh, at uh, Paul preaching on Wednesday night at, at Mars Hill to uh, the people in Ephesus. When he arrives there, he goes to Mars Hill, and he's preaching, and he's dealing with uh, Stoics and Epicureans. There are all of these different philosophies and mindsets, and Paul goes after them and points them to Christ, the Word of Christ. That's our only source, and that's the whole point of this book of Colossians is that we have something far superior than human wisdom. We have something far superior than philosophy and ideologies. We have Christ, and that's where we should stay. There's a word, and we're talking about change. There's a Greek word. We hear the word repent in the English. 
The Greek word for that word repent means to change. It means to have a second thought. I found this definition of it this week, the word metanoia. And this is coming from a, a psychology terminology. Uh, but in psychology, they, they define this thing of metanoia as this. Listen to this. It's very accurate to what the biblical meaning of this word is, metanoia. It's the process of ex- experiencing psych- psychotic breakdown and subsequent positive psychological rebuilding and healing. In other words, you've got a, a, a way of thinking, and that has to be torn down, and there needs to be a subsequent rebuilding with a different way of thinking. That's what this idea of metanoia or repenting is. That old way of thinking, the old lifestyle, the old patterns and habits being destroyed in our lives so that we can adapt the the patterns, the lifestyles, the philosophies of the kingdom of God. That's what this word repentance is really all about. Say a new way of thinking. Come on, say a new way of thinking. Put your head on your hand and say, I need a new way of thinking. Lord, help me to get rid of this stinking thinking. And I'm, I'm just going to confront it. If, if you're thinking, this is absurd, I don't need this message, this message is for you. Humble yourself. I pray that everybody in this room, myself included, I'm, I'm letting this word work on me. We need to let the word work on us. If you're looking down your nose at this preacher right now, humble yourself. It's not about me. It's the Word of God. Allow the Word of God to change you. Don't get stuck in a rut. Don't get stuck in your Be open to what the whole... We need to be open-minded. I heard somebody say it this way one time. We need to be open-minded, but not so open-minded that our brain falls out. I'm not asking you to dismiss all the doctrine, all the things you know about Jesus. I'm not. I'm just saying there are things, I think, in every single one of us that need to be reshaped and reformed in our mind. We have certain thought patterns about life and about God and about the way that we relate to people and about what it means to be a Christian that need to be changed. Some of us are striving towards God in ways that God has not prescribed. We're living in philosophies that are contrary to the ways of God. As, as Timothy said, uh, Paul said to Timothy that, that we are opposing ourselves. He was talking about people who err in, in, their, in their doctrine and in their lifestyle. He says they oppose themselves. They say, I am a follower of Christ here. But in the way that they're living, they're opposing that. Right? I I follow Christ, but I'm in superstition. I'm I'm a follower of Christ, but I'm in some kind of a religious bondage. Right? We are opposing the reality of who we are in Christ when we adapt certain lifestyles and mentality. And my prayer is that that through this sermon series, that a lot of those things, we're going to be able to, I'm not going to identify everybody in this room is dealing with something in our minds that needs to be torn down. For some of you, it's an addiction. It's a habit. It's a lifestyle that needs to be brought down. Science proves this out, that your habits form patterns, electrical pulses, these, these patterns that are in your mind. And that's, so, for, for example, anger can be a good one. When somebody does a certain thing to you, there is a pattern that fires in your mind, and it goes that certain way every single time. And we need to get into the Word of God so that our mind can be retrained and we have a new way of thinking about it so that the, the, the pathway, that thing fires down. We've got to build a new pathway. Right? Anybody ever walk the cow trails? Right? It's easy to walk on the cow trails. We need to blaze some new trails. Stop doing it our way. Stop doing it the world's way. Stop doing it this way and begin to do it God's way. We've got to blaze a new trail in our minds. We gotta start seeing it differently so we can start doing it differently. We gotta change the way that we think so that the way that we live changes. That's what we're talking about. Everybody say, a new way of thinking. Ephesians 4 and 23 in the New King James Version be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's the New King James Version. I like the contemporary. English version, it says, let the Spirit change your way of thinking. Let the Spirit change your way of thinking. How many of you want to be open 
to the Holy Spirit coming and blazing some new trails in your mindsets, building new pathways, new worldviews, new outlooks. You're going to see things the way that the Word of God says that we should see them. We're going to view these things from heaven's perspective, right? Set your mind on heaven, not things on things below. That's what we're, we're talking about. Need a new mic? Thank you. Everybody give it up for Brother David. That's the man right there. He helps us out so many awesome ways. I love Brother David. Romans, so that was Ephesians 4 and 23. Let the Spirit change your way of thinking. Romans 12 and 2 in the CEV also says, it says, don't be like the people of this world, but let God change the way you think. Then you will know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to him. Amen? We need a new way of thinking about it. Amen? Let God change the way you think. I want to go back and look at that verse in the New King James Version, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's change the way that we think. How do we do that? How do we do that? I, I believe that 2 Corinthians chapter 10 gives us some really good insight into this. You can turn on over there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read this out of the CEV, the Contemporary English Version. It says, we live in this world. And, and that was the one thing about the, the Jewish asceticism. It, it was like they didn't really want to live in this world. They wanted, they wanted to live a life up in heaven, right? When we get, and, and we're going to see this, by, I, I guarantee you, by the time we get through this series, we're going to see this. When we have our eyes fixed on heaven, we are powerful on planet earth. That saying that so earthly-minded that we're of no earthly good is we're not going to land there. We're going to be so heavenly-minded that it makes us so earthly effective, right? See, here, here's the, 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 the way we need to look at this in, in Philippians. I think I shared this last week, but in Philippians, Paul writes to the Philippians, and he says, you are a colony of heaven. Or he says to the Philippians, you are citizens of heaven. And in the Greek, the word there is kolonia. You are a colony of heaven. See, they understood this because Philippi was not in Rome, but it was a colony of Rome. And even though they didn't live in Rome as citizens of Philippi, they had all of the rights of Roman citizens. Right? So Paul's trying to get a message. You are a citizen of heaven. You don't live in heaven yet. But you have every right of a heavenly citizen here on planet Earth. Amen? It's bringing the power of God's kingdom here on Earth to be lived out through our lives. Right? That was the disconnect that these that practicing this Jewish asceticism was causing in these Colossians that Paul writes this letter to. Right? We live in this world. But we do not act like the people of this world, world verse 4, for our fight, our, our, or, or fight, I'm sorry, we, we, we don't act like the people of this world, or fight our battles with the weapons of this world. Instead, we use God's power that we can destroy fortresses. We destroy arguments and every bit of pride that keeps anyone from knowing God. We capture people's thoughts and make them obey Christ. And when you completely obey him, we punish everyone, anyone who refuses to obey. In other words, by preaching the kingdom, what, what we are doing is we are bringing our thoughts into obedience, the obedience of Christ. Anybody willing to just put your hand up and say you have some rebellious, wayward thoughts? Some thoughts that you know are in obedience to Christ. 
Everyone, almost everybody in the building raised their hand. We're praying for the rest of you. We do. We have thoughts, disobedient thoughts. And what happens is as these, like I said, the, the picture in psychology is, or, or uh, uh, what is it, neurology, is the electric pathways of the mind. Those things become like, like a fortress in our minds. And that's literally the word that, that's used there, right? The weapons, our spiritual weapons, destroy fortresses. That's the wording there in verse 4, right? How many of you know we're in a war? The, the word there for warfare is a military contest. We are in a battle. And we have weapons, instruments, tools that God has given us to fight this battle. And they are not the weapons of our flesh. They are spiritual weapons. Prayer, praise, worship, fasting, counsel and discipleship is, is a tool I believe that can help us to fight this battle. Spending time in God's word, fellowshipping with, the, with, with the, the people of God. These are all things that God has given us as weapons to help us to battle against these mindsets. And that's, that's where the war is at. There's a book out there called The Battlefield of the Mind. Great book. There, there are these fortresses, and, and God has given us weapons so that these fortresses, and the word there means castle. In fact, let me, let me tell you what this word means in, in the Greek. I won't, I won't even try to pronounce it, but the word there for fortresses, it means castle, fortress, or stronghold. It also has this meaning. Listen to this. Anything on which one relies. Anything that we, do you have things, something that you're relying on other than God? Do you have a crutch in your life that you're leaning on other than Jesus? Because that's the word here. It's something on which one relies of arguments and reasoning by which a, a disputant to, uh, can fortify his opinion and defend it against an opponent. How do these strongholds get set up in our mind? Human reasoning. We talked about this a little bit at the, uh, in our message last week. Original sin has to do with our reasoning. It has to do with us making a judgment. What Adam and Eve did when they took the fruit off of that tree that God said not to eat of, they, they, they made a statement that says, what I say about it matters more than what God has said about it. That's human reasoning. How, how do we reason in life? What, what does the Bible say about our health? By his stripes, we were healed. How many of you have ever reasoned yourself into a different position? Your mind was locked up to a point where you couldn't have faith in God to heal. What does the Bible say about our provision? What's his name? Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory, right? What do we do? We start reasoning. There's no way I'm going to be able to pay this bill. I mean, we will reason all night long, tossing and turning. We're reasoning and we're building these castles, these mindsets in our mind that are contrary to what God says about it. And we could do this all kinds of things. We could do this in culture, about sexuality, about marriage, about you name it. We build up mindsets. Offenses can oftentimes be these mindsets. We allow these castles into our mind so every time we're faced with a situation, we have a certain way of thinking about it. The bill, we see the, 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 the bill show up in the mailbox. We're overcome with fear. We stay up all night. What is it? We're reasoning instead of trusting God, right? We're reasoning in our own capabilities, right? What is that? It's, our, it's flesh, it's pride. It dealt with pride in the verse that we just read there in Romans chapter, or in, in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, right? Pride. If we're going to deal with these things, our pride has to be dealt with. Our flesh has to be humbled. And we have to begin to surrender. Everybody say surrender. 
See, that's really what it's all about. Submission. The dirty word that starts with S. Submission. We don't live in a culture where people much care about submission, do we? We don't want to submit to our boss. We don't want to submit to our spouse. We don't want to submit to our parents. We don't want to submit to government. We don't want to submit to nothing. Right? We don't, we don't do well in our culture with submission. It's all about the, the, the American way. Right? I got to vote. And if I don't get my way, I'm just going to go ahead and do it my way anyway. Go to, I'm going to go to Burger King and have dinner after church today. Their whole advertising strategy is you're the king. You get to call all the shots. That's our carnal mentality. And when we're living there, we're reasoning. We're building up mindsets. We're fortifying our positions. I know God said I I should do it this way, but I'm going to go ahead and do it my way. And we fortify that, we strengthen that, and that becomes a stronghold, the, the enemy in your mind. The enemy, when we're doing that, is building castles in your mind. And these spiritual weapons that God has given us are to literally destroy and pull down those fortresses, those castles that we have built. We have allowed the enemy to build in our mind. And so it says in this passage, those those weapons, what they do is they bring every thought into the obedience of Jesus Christ. Obedience. Submission. Right? See, all that we know about God is powerless without obedience to Jesus. James talks about it. He says, don't just hear the word of God. Don't just go to church on Sunday morning and listen to the preacher. Be a doer of the word of God. When the word of God hits your heart, take it and apply it and say, I'm going to do my best by the help of the power of the Holy Spirit to live this out. I'm not going to live a hypocritical lifestyle. I'm not going to reason. And, and well, you know, pastor said it, and I saw it in the scriptures, even pointed out he gave us 16 Bible verses to back it up, but I'm not going to, I can't, I'm just not ready to live there yet. No. Don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. And here's what he says, because if you are a hearer of the word only and not a doer, you're like a man who looks in a mirror and goes away and forgets who he is. Right? See, when we look in the, the mirror, and we, which is the word of God, and we see something about Jesus, we're get a rev, getting a revelation of who we are in him. It's our new nature that by God's spirit we can live out. So act accordingly, right? Don't just talk. That's what that scripture said that we started out with. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. If we're serious about this resurrection life, let's do it, right? But we got to change the way that we think. The way you think determines the way that you live. And most importantly in that is what, the way you view God determines the way that you're going to live your life. If you think that God is some mean, vengeful God that's ready to strike you down, you'll live accordingly. If you think that we serve a God that wants to withhold good stuff from you, you'll live accordingly. Right? That's why the writer in Hebrews said, without faith it is impossible to to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I believe that he is. I believe that he is a healer. I believe that he is a provider. I believe that he is my righteousness. I believe that he is a sanctifier. I believe that he is my peace. Amen? We've got to believe that he is. Amen? So as we read the word of God and we get revelation of who Jesus is, it should transform us. We go from being just hearers of the word to being doers of the word and living a life that looks a whole lot like Jesus. Not completely, but a whole lot. I know there's some ways I don't completely look like Jesus, but I look a whole lot more like, a, like him than I did 27 years ago. And hopefully tomorrow I look a little bit more like him. We're being changed into his likeness day by day by the power of the Spirit of God. So scripture that we used last week really corresponds with this passage in 2 Corinthians Chapter 3 through 6, chapter 10, verse 3 through 6. 
right? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, mighty through God, pulling down strongholds. So here's a, here's a, a very parallel verse from, from Colossians. Listen to this. Don't let anyone capture you. Take you as a hostage. Don't let anybody kidnap you with empty philosophies. High-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking. And listen to this, from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. See, there, there, are, there, there, there are two streams. Either God has said or has God said. Every mindset that you have fits into one of those two categories. You either believe what God says about it or you're saying, I don't quite know if I believe that. When we're reading the scriptures and we're trying to live our lives according to scripture, we're living out of that worldview. God has said. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Oh, but I want to dabble over here with some Buddhism. I want to dabble over here with the fortune teller. I want to dabble over here with a little religion. I'm going to do what my Uncle Buck, who was a preacher, said I should do. Instead of if I know what the Bible says and it's contrary, I'm going to go ahead and follow Uncle Buck. Right? There's two mindsets. There's two worldviews. We looked at it last week out of James. There's wisdom from above, and then there's wisdom that is demonic and sensual. All wisdom falls into one of those two categories. Every mindset falls into one of these two categories. Either God says it or has God said. Let me, let me encourage you. As soon as you, if you're reading books, stay in the Bible. I, I think it was uh, Spurgeon who said, uh, I, I do read books, but I camp out in the Bible. Read more Bible than you read books. Read more Bible than you watch TV. Spend more Bible, time in the Bible than you do anywhere else. Amen? But if you do read a book and you recognize that they are putting question marks on what God has said, throw the book in the trash can as quick as you can. Toss out anything that puts a question mark on the word of God. I've determined I'm going to stick with the word. I'm going to meditate day and night on the word of God. Amen? Books are good. Commentaries are good. They help us sometimes. They look, look for books, especially that, that aren't just giving opinions, but are expounding on the word of God, helping you to better understand what God said, not their interpretation of it, but what has, what has God said to us as his people and what can we get out of it? How can we live? Look for books that do that, right? There, there's a, a book. It's called Velvet Elvis. Don't ever pick it up. It's, it's trash. It's trash. It's, you can get it in a Christian bookstore. It's trash. Here's the cover on the book. Every generation puts their spin on the Bible. Now it's our turn. Trash it. Trash it. No scripture is given a private interpretation. In other words, that was not the apostles interpreting who they thought God was. And it's our opportunity to interpret what they were saying about God. No, it is God breathed and inspired. It's the word of God. And I accept it like it is, not like I want it to be. And listen, you're listening to a preacher that will never apologize because our Bible doesn't fit culture. Well, I'm sorry, but this is what the Bible, I will never do it. I don't care if I don't like it. John Osteen, who was a great man of God, he used to say this. He said, if I'm, if I'm rubbing the cat the wrong way today, turn your cat around. Right? If the word of God rubs my fur the wrong way, I'm going to turn around. Right? I'm going to repent. That's what it really means. I'm going to change. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes I'm reluctant to change. Sometimes it affects my idols. Sometimes it affects my preferences. But I've learned when I put my preferences and my idols on the altar in the way I want it. Man, the joy. Man, the fullness of life. Man, the abundance. Man, the peace that comes. Amen? Doing it your way is like running up against a brick wall every day. Amen? 
Let's do it God's way. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. That word, spiritual powers of the world, it's, it's elemental spirits. The, the word that's used here is the same word that's used in, in Hebrews chapter 5 when Apostle Paul says, uh, you, you should be teaching now, yet you're still in preschool. You still have need that somebody teaches you the elementary truths of the kingdom of God. That's the same word that's used here. But this is the elementary spirits of the world. See, in the kingdom, there are foundational doctrines. And in the, in, in the kingdom of darkness, there are foundational doctrines. And when we adopt the world's way of thinking, that's what we are doing. We are adopting demonic ways of thinking. You might call it the spirit of the age. Right? We are to reject it. We are to shun the spirit of the age. ESV says it this way. See to it now that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Or rather than Christ. Are we going to go after these elemental spirits of the world? Are we going to trust human wisdom, worldly knowledge, rather than Christ? That's the question. What lens are you going to choose to look at through life, look at life through? I was away back in November at a workshop with some pastors, a group of pastors in a room, and a gentleman came in to, to do a devotional with us, and he passed out sun, these, these uh, sunshades or sunglasses, but they all, all of them had different colored lenses. Some of them had red lenses, some of them had blue lenses, some of them had yellow lenses, and then he had a whiteboard, and after we got our glasses on, he spun that whiteboard around, and he went one by one, and he asked us, what does that message, what's the message on the whiteboard? And every single one of us read a different message off the whiteboard. Because the color of our lenses was tainting our view. What lens will we look at life through? What lens are we going to put on? Listen to what Colossians says says, you have accepted Christ as your Lord. Now keep on following him. Plant your roots in Jesus, in Christ, and let him be the foundation of your life. Be strong in your faith, just as you were taught, and be grateful. Don't let anyone fool you by using senseless arguments. These arguments may sound wise, but they are only human teachings they come from the powers of this world and not from Christ. God lives fully in Christ, and you are fully grown because you belong to Christ, who is over every power and authority. Amen? Amen. So what lens are we going to put on? What lens will we view this world through? Will we allow this culture, the culture around us, to distort our view of Jesus? Or will we allow Jesus to bring clarity to our culture and the world around us? Think about it. I'm, I, I'm, I'm talking about something that we, every single one of us in this room, deal with every single day. Every single day. And this is simple. This is simple. Get a hold of the word of God and reject all else. If you'll just simply adapt that one principle from today's message, your life will revolutionize. You will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because that's the, the powerful effect of the word of God. The Bible talks about, I think it's in Galatians, where it says the, the washing of our minds with, with the word of God. The washing of the word. The word washes and cleanses, it reshapes, it, re, it makes new pathways, it, it helps us to think the way that we ought to think. Colossians 1 and 27, God wanted them to know that the riches of glory, uh, that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret, it's Christ who lives in you. This gives assurance of sharing his glory. 
And this is key. We're going to get into this as we, as we go over the next few weeks. The, the, the key to this, it, it's Christ in us. Christ is the sum of all wisdom, and Christ is in us. You don't need a spiritual guide. You don't need a necromancer. You don't need a horoscope. Christ is our guide. Period. As my wife and all of her British friends say, full stop. That's the way they end sentences over in the UK. Full stop. I said period. She was, when, when we were dating, she was uh, typing my, my, uh, one of my uh, uh, papers for one of my classes. She was typing it for me, and I was dictating it to her, and I said period, and she typed period. I said, what are you doing? You said, you, you said period. And I said, no, like a, a period at the end of the sentence. Oh, full stop. Full stop. A couple more passages. We're almost done here. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Colossians 2, 2 and 3. In, in the first verse, Paul says this. He says, I agonize. Talking to the church of Colossae, I agonize over you. I agonize over the, 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 the people at the church of Laodicea. They were very close to each other. Colossae and Laodicea were uh, not far from each other. He says, I agonize over you and over the church of Laodicea and for all believers. As I read that, I thought about, I I just pictured the Apostle Paul praying for them. Lord, don't let them get caught in the traps of these philosophies. Like, don't let them go draw water from other cisterns and wells. Right? You are the source. You're, You're the only answer. You're the only wisdom. He says, I'm agonizing over all of these believers. Here's why. I do it to encourage them, verse 2 says. Then as their hearts are joined together in love, they will be wonderfully blessed with complete understanding. And they will truly know Christ. Not only is he the key to God's mystery, but all wisdom and knowledge are hidden away in him. And he says in verse 4, I'm telling you this. So that no one will deceive you with these well-crafted arguments. Human reasoning. Our trust should not be in human reasoning. The thoughts and the pathways of this world. Our trust and confidence should be in Christ. I talked last week about how Paul, when he came to the new believers in Corinth, he, he said, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. But then he goes on to say, but to those who are mature... We preach the wisdom of God. You know what that is? It goes back to that that verse we saw just a minute ago. Christ in you. that, That is the mystery. Christ in you. Christ in you. If we can get that, we will live lives of wisdom. Wisdom, Christ is in us, and we can draw from that. And that's the great mystery that he's talking about. All of the wisdom of God that Paul preaches about, it's, it's, it's Christ in us. It's Christ in us. How do we witness Christ in us? That's the wisdom for witnessing. How do we handle finances? How do we steward the resources that God? Christ in us. That's where the wisdom of God comes from. How do we overcome sin? Christ in us gives us the wisdom to overcome these sins. How do we pull down these storms? It's Christ in us, working in us. It's his word working in us, pulling down Christ in us. This is the great mystery of God, right? It's not some, you know, purple castles up in the sky and all these mysteries. No, Christ in us, that's the mystery. And, it's, and he, it, scripture is clear about this. It's been revealed to us that are saved. It's not something that we're, we're trying to figure out. It's the person of Jesus. Christ is the sum of all wisdom. Period. Full stop. One more more passage and we are done. I promise. Last week I did six. This is the last one. Moses dies. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses dies, and God begins to ready Joshua. 
Get up, Joshua. As I have been with Moses, so will I be with you. Look at Joshua 1 and 7. He says, only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. Look at verse 8. It sounds a whole lot like Psalm 1. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Get a hold of God's word and you will walk with confidence. If you're grasping philosophy, if you're grasping human traditions, if you're grasping the spirit of this age, you will walk with confusion, with doubt, with fear, with trepidation. You won't know which way to go. You'll turn and spin. You will walk as a lost man in this world. As long as you hold to the philosophies of this world. But if you will meditate on the law of God, the word of God, day and night, you will be only strong strong and courageous. Veracity. Veracity. You know what veracity is? It's a strength that comes from having a hold on truth. See, there's, there's two types of courage. You're walking down the sidewalk, a child's running out in front of a car, your, your adrenaline fires, and before you even know what you're doing, you're running out in the street, hazarding your life, snatching that child to get it to safety. That's one type of a courage. And then the, the, the adrenaline wears off, off and you go throw up. Why did I do that? I could have died. That's one type of courage. There's another type of courage where firefighters know exactly where they're going when they run into those houses. They know that their lives are in danger. But they go in there with a confidence and a courage. You know why? Because they trust their training. They have role played. They have tested. They have done exercises and drills. They put themselves in every possible scenario. Car crashes, fire buildings, stairwells, roof fires, all kinds of fires, car fires. They have trained and trained and trained and trained. And because of that, because of their training, they have a courage to go into situations that you and I would not put ourselves in on a normal day, but they do it every single day. Why? Because they have a veracity. They have a hold of a truth. They have a hold of some principles that they know will keep themselves safe. They know when to go in and when not to go in. They know if this is going on, this is how you proceed. If this is going on, this is how you work. If this is going on, then this is what you do, right? They have been trained. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says. It says, by reason of use, it's talking about the word of God. It's that same passage that says you are your children that still need to be taught when you should be teaching. He says, get into God's word so that by reason of the use of God's word, you will have your spiritual senses exercised to know good and evil. See, if you get a handle on God's word, it will give you a veracity. It'll give you a strength. You'll go like Joshua, be strong and have good courage. One word from God can change everything. Coming out of my senior year, I spent three years of my life every single day drunk. I came to the Lord January 1st, 1996, about 12.05 in the morning after a midnight watch service, watch night service. And for the next 18 months, I did everything that I could to stop drinking. I committed my life to Christ that night, January 1, 1996. I drank up until July of 1997. I went to church almost every single time the door was open during that period. 
I did everything that I could to quit drinking. And a lot of, I was still smoking at that point. Smoking cigarettes. My youth pastor invited me as a 22-year-old man to go to a youth camp. And a preacher stood up on a platform. The worship hadn't even ended. But a preacher, a man of God, got up on that platform and he declared a word of God. And that word changed a mindset, destroyed the pride of this man, brought me to an altar. I wrestled with God in that altar for three hours. And when I walked out of that building that night, God had turned me inside out. That was the end of my drunkenness. 27 years sober, 27 years sober, because the word of God changed this man. I'm not talking about some kind of platitudes and it sounds nice. This stuff works. If you will get a hold of the word of God, it will transform your life. It will transform your every being. Amen? This stuff is powerful. The word of God is powerful. It's sharp. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to get down to the very core of us and divide and figure out exactly what's going on in the inside of us like a scalpel and do precise surgery on us and change us and make us what God wants us to be if we will allow it to have its effect, if we won't go after these vain philosophies, if we won't. Listen, I tried everything that, I never got into a 12-step program, but every idea, everything that I heard, I tried it and I couldn't quit. Now, I'm not against 12-step programs. Listen, if you're, if you're battling addiction today, do everything you can. Read every book you can and get with every person that will help you and do everything you can to overcome that addiction. But I'm going to tell you one ingredient that if it's missing, you will never truly, truly have victory. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus set me free. His word set me free. His spirit set me free. Amen? I had to shift. I had to lay down something and allow God to change and transform me. It's hard. Not saying this is easy. I like me just as much as you like you. I'm just as right as you are. I'm just as hard-headed as you are. Some of y'all looking at me like, no, you're really hard-headed. I'm not hard-headed. No, you're hard-headed. No, you are. No, you are. Listen, we're all humans, and we're all dealing with nasty, stinky flesh. If I can overcome, if I can walk for 27 years after three years of bondage free, you can walk free. And maybe it's not alcohol. Maybe it's not cigarettes. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's hidden sin. Whatever it is, give it to Jesus. Say, Jesus, you know what, he, you know what Jesus has been saying about it. He's been saying it to you for a long, long time. Will you bring your thoughts into the obedience of Christ?